The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Maya Pavinska-Sims, a MIA editor at the Homes Report and I'm in a rather muggy London today with the breath of fresh air that is Sarah Hall, this year's president of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Sarah is a pioneer of best practice in the PR industry, a champion of diversity and inclusion, as well as being the founder of the Future Proof series of books aimed at underscoring the role of public relations as a management function, which we'll be talking about a bit more later. All of which makes her sound terribly grown up and serious, but she's also extremely good company and I'm delighted that she's joining me for my first podcast. Sarah, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Thanks very much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Cool. Now, we've known each other for a little while, Yeah. but I don't think I've ever asked you how you got into this game. How did you end up in public relations? Ah, yes. Well, um, I was one of those very typical teenagers who didn't have a clue what to do. And thankfully, my mum at the time was working in um, helping people get into employment and had this very clever little machine where you could put in your interests and it spewed out different options. Mm. And the one that came out for me was public relations. It was quite new at the time. So I remember going back into school and saying to my careers advisor, I think I want to do public relations and find a university that does that. And um, they basically said, don't be silly, find yourself a proper grown up you know, yeah. job. Um, but anyway, I did it. But I, what I did decide to do was study that and also study French. So I went to university and did that. Uh, and I was very lucky that it was at Trinity and All Saints in Leeds. And they were one of the very few courses that immediately offered uh, a placement. So I had to do that in my second year, third year in France. I had to do the placement in the fourth year, which ultimately led to me getting a job at Tyne Tees Television in what was then known as the Regional Affairs Department, uh, which was effectively PR by a different name. And then I moved into agency and I and I never I never looked back. Amazing. And um, you're now in your presidency at the CIPR. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. How did you get involved with the CIPR? Yeah, um, I was very lucky. And it's, it's interesting you ask, actually, because um, I was talking to somebody about this and they were saying, oh, you know, you've reached such a level. It's, you know, it must be hard for people to think, look at where you are and think, how, you know, how can I do that? And actually, I actually think I'm probably a very good example of where you can get to if you work hard. I'm from a single parent family and um, I actually got a council grant to go to university. So, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to go to university as it is mm. today, you know, with, with the fees that you have to pay. Um, so I've worked really hard to, to you know, launch my own business, make that successful, um, follow a strong career path. And, you know, in terms of my work with the CIPR, and that started very early on because actually I was fortunate that the very first agency I worked for um, worked, they were involved with the CIPR North East because we're kind of um, run by, you know, regional uh, and, and national and sectoral groups. We have a massive, mm. um, you know, group of volunteers who are the lifeblood of the Institute, as it were. Uh, and so I started out very early because actually I was brought in to draft notes from meetings and then I was able to progress to, uh, uh, you know, uh, organising events. And eventually I became regional chair. Right. And then 
uh, I found it just massively beneficial because I was at the forefront of seeing the kind of latest policy information, thought leadership. And not just that, I just really grew my network that way. Um, and it's how I met Liz Lewis-Jones, who's a, another former president. And um, she, in time, invited me to try and get involved on a national level. Uh, and I sat on her board when she was president um, with a responsibility for, um, you know, looking after the volunteers that we had across the regions and nations. And it kind of went from there. So how are you finding it? Not going to lie. Being it's, president. It's busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's good. Um, you know, it's a real privilege and it's, a, and it's an honour, but you have to be very prepared for a lot of hard work and to be as accessible mm. as possible, which means you're on call a lot of the time. So I've been doing, I would say, up to three days voluntary time a week and you have to find that from Gosh. elsewhere because you don't want it to impact your family life or obviously I've got my own business, so that's really important. But this is stuff that will hopefully help take our industry forward. Mm. So I, I see it as something that's fundamentally important. It's something I'm very passionate about. So it's good, but um, you know, it has its challenges. I can imagine. I don't know where you find another three days a week from, I'm sure. Um, what's your manifesto this year? What do you really want to achieve during your tenure as president? So um, it's exciting. Um, I know we're going to come on to Future Proof, but it builds upon um, much of the Future Proof work that I've done in the past. Mm. So there's two things, really. Um, I always wanted Future Proof to be a kind of cheerleader for the PR industry because I think uh, we don't always celebrate the excellent work that we do. And secondly, um, Future Proof was based on conversations I had with Dr. John White, who's written in the past about um, the opportunity for public relations if we approach it as a strategic management function. Mm -hmm. So I took that body of work, which is a crowdsourced body of work, and, um, you know, I worked alongside that, the information that I got from members, because I spent an awful lot of time talking to members, seeking their views, looking at what the Institute had already done, how we were positioned. And it just really became clear to me that while we do a great job talking to the PR industry, what we're not so good at is um, really connecting and engaging with the business community mm -hmm. so they understand the strategic value of public relations, um, what we actually do or what we should be doing daily in that if we're kind of in that elevated advisory position. Yeah. And actually, the impact that we have in terms of organisational outcomes. So really, the manifesto and the plan this year is to connect the dots there in terms of okay. saying continue the great work that the CIPR and its members are already doing, especially its volunteers, but let's turn our gaze outwardly and show people external to our industry what it is we do and why people should trust us and invest in us and our services. That's pretty ambitious. A year's not that long to achieve that sort of turnaround in perceptions of the industry. Do you, what are the challenges of just having a year? Because you can only really kick something off. You're not going to see anything through to sure. completion. Sure. That is difficult. It's interesting because obviously it's kind of a three-year tenure, but not. Mm. So you, you are elected uh, and then you wait for almost a quarter, and then you become president-elect. Then you have your year as president, and then you have a year as past president. Mm -hmm. So obviously you can kind of continue the work you've started, but you kind of have to hand over to the person who's come into the hot seat, which is only right, and, and they have their own vision. Um, so it's tough, and actually I, I've scratched my head an awful lot and said, you know, and this is not in my gift, and this would have to go out to, um, you know, consultation and board and council first. So I do kind of wonder, would it be better instead of having this three-year tenure where actually you really only have autonomy in, in the year that you're in the hot seat? Yeah. Would it be better to have a two-year one? But I guess there are pros and cons. Yeah. And I think 
the thing for the institute in order to be successful and to make sure that we maintain the right direction is just to make sure that we have really good succession planning, that we work very closely together in terms of the past president, current president, and um, past, let's say past? President-elect, president, and, and past president, and that um, we are very clear in terms of direction. But what's helpful about that is we have a charter and mm. the principles within that charter are very clear in terms of what we're there to achieve. And if we manage to make every plan, uh, form every plan of activity around that, we're never going to go very far wrong. And in terms of direction, there's a lot of chat uh, on an ongoing basis about the CIPR's relationship with the other big UK trade body, the Public Relations and Communications Association, or PRCA as we we know and love it. How is that evolving and what would you like to see happen there? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think most people would be aware that there's been tensions between the two organisations in the past. Um, I like to think we've put those to bed now. Um, we are competing organisations. You know, it's a relatively small industry, um, but there are some big ticket issues um, that we are now collaborating on, and that's absolutely critical. Um, you know, we're not going to fix issues to do with the gender pay gap, with inclusivity and diversity, if we don't work together. No. You know, the industry itself, uh, as you know, as you've written about it, has a problem with social mobility. Mm. Now, we've got to crack these, you know, big issues together, and one organisation on its own isn't going to do it in, in isolation. Um, it, it's just not... It's just not um, going to have the impact. And equally, there are big issues that are facing us and are big opportunities for us. So you look at things like Brexit, mm. and which we want um, businesses to look at us as strategic advisors. So really, as one voice, we should be talking to the business community and saying, this is why you need to be using your mm. PR advisors right now. This is how they can help you navigate this very difficult landscape. Um, this is the kind of questions you should be asking them, and this is what they should be delivering. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that we at the CIP PR have been um, partnering with the CBI because we really want to, you know, get further into the business community. They talk about the value of business. We talk about the value of public relations to, to, to business. And tell me a little bit more about this uh, partnership that you're developing with the Confederation for British Industry. Why is that such an important focus for you now? Well, it comes back to this whole um, question of PR as a strategic management function and making sure that uh, the business community is aware of what we do. Now, what's wonderful about it is that they're very open to collaboration. Obviously, they're a member mm. organisation. Uh, Josh Hardy, who's a deputy CBI, is a kind of public relations person at heart. So he completely understood when we went in and had those first conversations. And he, he totally... Uh, recognizes that while we can gather information and data that they can use uh, as they you know, as they're doing their strategic planning and lobbying government mm. that equally businesses only succeed with the right support so he's very keen that obviously he you know that they also act as a conduit for that message so it's it's a really strong partnership and I think it's really really important and apart from anything um, public, public relations people are business people. We have to understand how organisations tick. And they often consult in terms of, you know, what, what are the issues affecting organisations. And we can talk not only on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of our clients mm. and the, our employers too. And what sort of shape is that partnership taking? What are the outputs from that? So we're still looking at that. Um, um, it's a very early 
um, stage of the relationship, but um, they're being very kind and we're delighted to have, and he's a massive plug, Josh Hardy speaking at our national conference, which will be at the, the British Library in London on the 29th of November. Okay. And um, Carolyn Fairburn is going to be writing the um, the foreword for our Platinum book, which is a celebration of the CIPR at 70, because it's our 70th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been invited to different events. What we're trying to do is link, they've got special interest groups with the CIPR special interest groups, which I think could be very powerful in terms of um, making inroads into different industries. Uh, and we're just looking at how else we collaborate to, to get our message through to, to mm. their networks. I think I think you're absolutely right to be making that link between PR and business. And I wonder, I, I suspect we have the same sort of thoughts on this, that the confidence of the PR industry and oh. um, it's... Um, there's a lot of hand-wringing I still see about how we define ourselves as an industry, what public relations means, should we be called something else, what label should we put on this incredibly broad scope of work we do now. And it all seems a little bit like we're in a little bubble and slightly insecure. You're going to put um, me in a soapbox here. I am going to put you on a soapbox <laughs> because I know I'm, I'm, I'm not sure clients care that much. What do you think? No, I, I completely agree. And I think we've got bigger issues. We have other disciplines eating our lunch. You know, we've seen it before. Um, we've now got big issues with SEO consultants management consultants mm-hmm. moving into our turf, we have absolutely have to stand firm and talk about the value that public relations brings to business mm. and how we contribute to organisation outcomes. And that's where our focus and drive should be. Yeah. I get really frustrated by the ongoing conversations as should we be named something else? Do we need a new definition? In my mind, mm. personally, absolutely not. We know what we do. We've just got to get that message out. And um, it's it's just not difficult. The difficult is the difficulty is if we look that we're unsure in, our, in the industry to external people, it, it does look like a lack of confidence when actually there are some superb practitioners. Yeah. Absolutely superb practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you're not going to compete with the likes of the egos of management consultants and the advertising industry if where they're going are we entitled to be doing in- integrated can we really leave should this? we be doing that exactly yeah. can so you, my... tr- you can trust us honestly you know, yeah it's... and my view is you know you look at the introduction of peso so paid earned shared and owned mm-hmm. and um that for me was a really pivotal moment for the public relations industry because for me we, it's finally put us in the driving seat. Mm-hmm. It puts us in a, in a place where actually we could be the lead discipline if yeah. we are assertive enough and confident enough. Because we're doing it all already, we just need to extend our capabilities. And so, you know, to be hand-wringing about uh, are we presenting ourselves properly just smacks to me of shooting ourselves in the foot. And the other thing is, and I've talked about this extensively and, and um, I've been doing an awful lot of speaking gigs this year, I really believe that if you talk about public relations as a strategic management function, it has a multitude of benefits. So first off, you give yourself a little bit more worth about you do because it feels quite good. You think yeah. that sounds quite important. That's that's pretty good. But then the second thing is you go, actually, and you start to benchmark yourself, for example, against uh, the Global um, Alliance competency framework. You kind of go, oh, I need to upskill to make sure I'm there. And that's a brilliant framework because from entry level, you're obliged to have management and business uh, skills as right. well as the tactical ones so you immediately put on a you know 
particular career direction. And then obviously that grows as, as you go through your career and, and you gain an experience. So there's those two things, which is brilliant. So you continue your CPD, um, you have the business management, financial experience to go with your tactical and communication skills. And it means that you're more confident internally and the conversations that you have mm. with uh, within businesses are completely different, whether that's with your employer or with your um, clients. And I can say wholeheartedly that this works and it does ch- it basically changes the face mm. of what you do and how you do it and how people perceive you. So when I set my business up in 2009, I'm not going to lie, it was still a bit of a delivery function. So I spent my first year yeah. partnering with other agencies who didn't do PR, taking any bits of work that I could get and not really delving into the detail of any um, tender documents. And then um, I started Future Proof uh, a few years later, but also I knew I needed to do something different with mm. the business because I wasn't happy with the, while I had wonderful clients, I, I felt the work we were doing was limited and we weren't really fulfilling our potential either for us mm. or, or for them. Um, so I then started to change tactic completely. I, I upskilled a little bit, did different courses, um, including the Google Square digital one. And just started to talk to clients differently. So I'd start to say, hang on a minute, this tender document or this brief, how does this work with your organization objectives? Sometimes they couldn't answer that and they had to go and find the the answer. But that was a good thing. And so they started to look at us differently. Um, We stopped having to tender for as much because actually, you know, by word of mouth, our reputation grew because actually they're the people you need to talk to Mm. because they get the results. And it it was just a game changer. So I know personally it works. So there's that. And then the final part of the puzzle is actually if you you do that kind of work and you're able, you've got the competencies to work and do it uh, brilliantly, you know, just the, the, your relationships grow, you're dealing with management teams, they respect you more and they respect the work you do more, which means they invest more. And they suddenly start to see that how you join the dots so that actually you're doing the horizon scanning, you have an understanding of what's happening across the whole workplace, yeah. you're probably doing a bit of internal comms, you are issues pulling and handling any crises if you haven't been able to avoid one for whatever reason. And, you know, you then say, you know, I'm setting the, the, the direction of travel. It makes sense, actually, for us to be in that lead role and say, actually, this is how you should delve about your budgets and those should be reporting to us yeah. rather than how it's been historically, yeah. which has been the reverse. No, absolutely. A lot of it is about language, isn't it? About educating yeah. the clients and also letting them know that you understand the language of business rather than just the language of comms. And it's not about awareness and coverage anymore. And it's not about bolting PR onto something else that's happening that has much bigger budgets. Um, Amen. Uh, it's it's about we are we are the ideal cost effective route to help you creatively reach your business outcomes. Exactly, right? and the thing is, I mean, it happens all the time. So I spoke to a lady who's a old friend of mine. We used to work together. She's got a really senior job. I won't name her or the organisation, but you know, similar seniority to me, rang me in tears because she had a really bad executive board meeting yesterday, mm. and it was all about the fact that they just had completely misunderstood or refused to even look in depth at the value that the public relations department she was working in or leading could could bring. Right. And she had gone in with a, you know, a proposal with, for more budget, um, so for additional resource. And, you know, you see it all the time. And, and, the, and I, we talked about it and we definitely, you know, having debriefed it and unpicked it a little bit, felt it was a language issue and in mm. terms of we have to get better as practitioners as making that business case. So when we go in and it makes absolute sense to us that we need two more people or somebody who can deliver that service, mm. 
sometimes all that looks like is just a request for money yeah. from that end. So you have to then link it. It's back to these business outcomes. Why will having those people uh, benefit the business? Yeah. So for her, there is a massive change management process that needs to take place. And basically, they've already structured the department. So she, you know, she's going to go back and say that didn't go brilliantly, can I come back in and represent and talk about actually, you know, if they can't do what they've got to do already, delivering this change management mm. process ain't going to work, not yeah. when you've got multiple stakeholders to, to deal with. And the, the, this this link between um, the the work of the comms team and the business outcomes is also, it's not just at the beginning, at the briefing stage, it's also got to go through to the measurement stage. This yeah. came up a lot at our Into Summit in Amsterdam last week with clients all saying, we're we we almost you know budgets are tight but we will pay for expertise if you can find ways of measuring evaluating and proving to us that what you're doing is linking to our business goals our business outcomes whether that's you know actual sales funnels or um uh, slightly intangible stuff like reputation um or um uh, sentiment towards a brand sure. and how, and shifting shifting that and proving um that the, that you are making a difference to that business is absolutely critical now, isn't it, for the role of the comms industry? Absolutely, and thank goodness to Amec for Amec for helping make it mm. easier than it's ever been. Because I think that you know they've really helped push us along that journey. Yeah. I mean, people are still so wedded. Certainly, some of the clients I see, you still get ones who are old school and are wedded to AVE, and we all know that's absolute nonsense. You know, it means absolutely nothing, and we can all just plug a figure out the air and yeah. jam it in a report, but. Um, that is that is a really key part mm. of that, and I do think we see pockets of good and bad practice depending on where you are. So future proof, which we'll come on to later. Number three, the NHS recognises that they're working really hard across that entire network to standardise it because they have you know some teams who are brilliant at it, mm. link absolutely everything, and they as they evolve the campaign using the data that they've got as they go, and then some who just their management teams don't really. They don't demand it. They don't mm. really care. And because they're limited in terms of people and resource and time, you know, when you're poor, it's an easy thing to say, actually, they're not bothered about it. Let's not bother. But we need to do it the other way around. We need to say out of everything, that's the most important yeah, thing because it shows why they need us and what our value is. Well, we see we still see this and such a lot in um, in award entries. You know, I've had a very long career of writing award entries and now I've kind of flipped to judging them uh, with the sabres. And it's amazing how even when there's all that kind of data-driven insight mm. and proper strategic thinking at the start, it just peters out. And Gets the results, along the way. it's like, what did you actually achieve? And it, yeah. it, it's like it just goes nowhere. So many campaigns, and it's such a shame because you can have a great creative idea that's based on all the yeah all that really good data, and um, and then nobody's measured anything to do with the business at the end. And that comes back down to obviously the the relationship of certainly if you're an agency, because sometimes the information that you need in order mm. to measure and evaluate effectively sits with them. Yeah, and so I can certainly say as someone you know put my agency hat on yeah you know you put that when you're, you're pitching for a piece of business or you're working with them and this is what we're going to need for you getting that out sometimes is like squeezing blood from a stone i bet but it's all about relationships and trust i guess and building sure. that up isn't it sure so we you've mentioned future proof a few times <laughs> sorry your passion project yeah um tell me all about that initiative where it comes from what you're hoping to achieve yeah sure so i've always um had a hankering to write a book and um, I love the job my job I love public relations and I 
I've always worked in agency and one of the things that frustrated me is that I felt that there wasn't really a handbook out there for people to learn on the job. So if you wanted to think about one, then one thing in depth, mm. you could go and find one uh, you know, book about that. Uh, but you'd have to buy like 10 to, to get yourself to where you want to be. So I felt there was some kind of handbook would have been really good that kind of cascaded all my learnings through. Right. Um, having worked with you know, different teams and helped other people upskill at, um, at different places. Uh, and then certainly after I'd started my own business and started to scale the team. And um, I just I just knew I couldn't do it justice. I looked it out, I scoped it out, thought I'm not going to do that. And then um, I'd met Stephen Waddington through the CIPR mm. and um, he'd done this crowdsourced PR stack project. And I just, I sat, I don't I can't remember what it was. I just sat one one morning and suddenly thought, you know what, maybe that's the way to do it. Do it as a crowdsourced thing. You know, you know what you want to cover. Mm. Go out and find the people who are experts in each yeah. in each topic so I spoke to him said would you mind mentoring me through this got this idea would you have a look he said it's a brilliant idea but the proof will be in the pudding in terms of throw it out there yeah. see what the appetite is and with number one I just I got such a shock because I you know put together what you know was I think it was 18 chapters in the beginning threw it out to some people I think eight I think it was something like 80 percent came back and said yes immediately uh, two people couldn't do it because they were otherwise committed but had said we love this but I just can't help but why don't you speak to so I got an introduction Brilliant. and then other people then came back and said but what about this topic this topic and this topic so it then grew yeah. um and um it was just amazing so like all of them cover pretty much everything in terms of uh, uh, you know bite-sized chunks so the HSA is 800 to 1200 words and just look at the things that are facing us the challenges and the opportunities as, as practitioners um, but it has academics it has people who are practitioners mm. it has teachers you know it has a, such a wide range of, of people's voices in there and it's a lovely book and I, I can say it's it's brilliant, not just based on the feedback that I've had, but because it's not my work. Yeah. Um, because actually the diversity within it means it's very, very easy to consume and you can pick up one thing and go, what is the thing I want to know about? And it's pretty much going to be in one of the editions because there's now three. Yeah. Um, so I'm really proud of that. It's um, something I always wanted to do. I was thrilled when number one took off, which is why number two followed hot at its heels because people were demanding it and yeah. I was about better get on with it. And, you know, it made sense because there were some topics that we hadn't covered and it, uh, so that, that came very quickly. And um, it's really important to me. So it's a bit like people say, why do, the pre- why do you do the presidency? It's because... I've been fortunate to get a leg up in my career from people helping me. Mm. Like, I couldn't have done this without Stephen's help. You know, people helped me, like, right very back in the beginning, past president Tony Bradley got me involved with the Northeast Committee. Liz Lewis-Jones, past president, asked me to get involved with council and board. And this is, for me, so I guess it's my little give back. You know, I personally invest in the design and um, production and marketing of it. And I do that so I can keep editorial independence but because it matters yeah. and because of the social mobility issue. So the first one was, um, you know, it was available free of charge as a PDF. Um, and um, also you could buy it through Burb. So it's uh, self-published. The second one we did as Kindle because people said, actually, we'd like it in a different format. The only difficulty was that is you can't do a free PDF if you do a Kindle. Right. But we get around that by publishing um, a chapter a day via We Are Proofed. Um, on Twitter and it's yeah. obviously on the futureproofingcoms.co.uk vlog but um, it's great and this third one just to um, finish finish it all off this is a very special one because it's also the NHS's 70th anniversary this year of course. so this is kind of my tribute and give back to them because you know I have on many occasions been treated by the NHS I think everybody has been touched 
you know, by the dedication of the staff, mm. recognises the struggle that it's got going on. And this is very special because it talks about how actually the comms um, offers it its lifeblood now. This is mm. what it needs to really engage with the public, not just government, but with the public to, to help them understand what the future of healthcare looks like and take them on the journey with them and shape that future together. Because it's not going to be like it is now. No. We think investment, you know, people talk about finance and getting more money for the NHS is its biggest issue. It isn't. It's a key one. But it actually, it's about saying, you know, the way that we access healthcare is changing. It's not necessarily going to be like a doctor or a hospital on the corner as it was. Mm. Healthcare is going to come into the community to you. Technology is changing it. I mean, we we all probably all know someone who's already had an online doctor's consultation where it's not been urgent. Yeah, It's about getting that message through. And um, just finding the way forward together, because like I say, that's a massive piece of change management. And comms is going to be a crucial part of the evolution of the National Health Service in this country, whatever it ends up looking at. Um, I, I love the essay format because it's so lovely to dip in. What for you from edition three, which is celebrating the National Health Service and uh, all the its enormous comms challenges, it doesn't just apply, it's important to say, to people practicing comms within the NHS. No. You know, I know there's thousands of them, but um, what for you are the, the biggest takeaways that apply to the the broader comms industry for in-house and agency practitioners from this edition of Future Proof? Okay, so there's some, a couple of really interesting things. One of them is about trust, and we all know that trust is at an all-time low um, through the Edelman Trust Barometer. Mm. Um, McKinsey has got different research on it. Um, you know, There's all sorts out there that, that show this. Um, one of the interesting things, uh, and to take the NHS as an example, it has quite high levels of trust, but that's because the people that um, the, pe- the public interacts with mm. every day are its frontline staff. Yeah. Um, so they have a huge amount of credibility. So one of the things I think that comes from this is that we should all think about that within our organisations. Mm. And I think internal comms specialists would come to this already and say, of course, everybody yeah. within the organisation is an ambassador and advocate for your business and the organisation. But we don't necessarily adopt that in wider practice. Mm. So I think that's one of the key things. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick it up here and leave through it because um, there was so much. And I think, um, yeah, so trust is, is absolutely absolutely critical. I think what else is in there? The need to standardise best practice mm. and the drive to professionalism. So back to what we were saying before about using uh, data and insight at, at the front end of a campaign because I think sometimes that's, you know, we talk about data. Yeah. How That's well a lot we of use talk it, about data. yes, yeah, but how well we use it in practice is <laughs> slightly it's a different. Lot of data thing. Chat in this industry, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? big data. How do we use it? How do we keep data safe? You know, and and actually, do you know what the, the data thing is? It's absolutely critical. So we're laughing, but you take an organisation like the NHS, the ethical issues around data use and how it's stored. Oh God, absolutely, yeah. are massive. Mm. And you think about oh, there's a lovely chapter in here by Nicola Perrin, and she talks about the benefits of if they were able to get large-scale data Mm. and how that would possibly be able to be used to, you know, find breakthroughs in medicine. But equally, the the appreciation that Mm. people are very, very reluctant to share certain information and because of the the implications that might happen if the data was lost or if it was sold or things like that. So these are massive, massive challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, GDPR has brought that oh. to everyone front of mind. Oh, don't say GDPR. <laughs> 70 billion emails we all had last week, I think, didn't I we, like before them. the deadline. I'm still getting them. 
Are you, have you had enough of GDPR? Yeah. Yet? I was I, like, I, Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> Please get away. Please well, yes. stop being so needy, Bran. <laughs> yeah. um, Sarah, it's been an absolute delight having you on the podcast with me. I love how passionate and you are about everything and the energy you bring to all your projects. And um, thank you for joining me in the Echo Chamber. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.